Hello there. You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City Sermons Podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, titled Storm, is from our March 13th worship service. The sermon text is Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Our worship services take place every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in our building at 819 John Adams Street in Oregon City, Oregon. For more information about our small, slow, and weird group of Jesus followers, check out our website in the show notes. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. There was a musical in 1945 called Carousel. And probably the best known song from Carousel also is the official anthem of Liverpool Football Club. It is sung before every home match. Uh, Fans put their arms around each other, friends, strangers, young and old, and sometimes with tears in their eyes, they sing, you'll never walk alone. And I'm, I'm going to spare you from more of my vocal theatrics this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Tough crowd. But I will, I will share some of the words with you. When you walk through the storm, keep your head held high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, There's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of the lark. And so walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and torn. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. And if you go on, Uh, If you go on YouTube later and type in, you never walk alone, Jerry and the Pacemakers, they do it a lot better than I do. But I have a question for Carousel and Jerry and the Pacemakers and and the people who wrote, that was Rodgers and Hammerstein, right? Who wrote, Rodgers and Hammerstein, who wrote, you'll never walk alone, is, is that true? Not the whole you'll never walk alone part, but all the stuff about the storm. You know, at the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of the lark. But I'd like to invite you to think for a second about recent storms you've been through. And I don't mean the meteorological idea of two different differing fronts, atmospheric fronts coming together to produce a line of, of precipitation and winds and everything else. I'm talking about life storms. Think about the last few life storms you've been through. Has it seemed like there was a way through the wind and the rain? Through every life storm that we've been through, are we met on the other side with a a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark? Or is that just happy nonsense? Because sometimes we go through storms and they are absolute hell. We don't see a way out on the other side. We don't know how we're going to get through. 
And even as we're trying to walk on through the wind and the rain, the, the wind is blowing in our face and the rain is, is attacking us from every angle. And we, we don't understand how it's windy from every direction and how it's raining on our front and our back at the same time. But these are the storms of life. And when we encounter these storms, what do we do? Jesus and his disciples in today's text went through a storm, a literal, actual storm. Winds, rain, everything else. And as they were starting across this lake, if you go to the western bank of the lake today, there at the parking lot, there are signs that warn that waves may come over the shore of the lake and crash down on top of your car. It's known for being windy. So this wasn't unexpected. However, we have to consider what the storm meant in the imagination of the disciples. First of all, the, the Israelites historically in Scripture were not seafaring people. They preferred to stay on dry land, which is also mostly where I prefer to stay. They, they weren't people who built boats. Other, other powers and, and, and peoples in the region would build boats and were, were seafaring people and would... Uh, would travel and had, had navies and explored and everything like this. God's people didn't. Because in the imagination of God's people, the sea was a place of chaos. Think back to Genesis 1.1. Uh, and the, the earth was formless and void, and waters covered the whole earth. That was chaos. And the first thing that God does is start organizing this chaos. And so as they're going across this lake, the, these, these thoughts are, are in their minds. They were fishermen. They were experienced fishermen. They had been on this lake before. But as Matthew tells this story, we have to remember that, that the sea still represents chaos. Storms could often in Scripture represent the intervention of God. Think about in... Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, when Elijah has fled uh, Jezebel and, and her threats, never alone her, her husband Ahab, and, and he flees for his life and he ends up on the mountain, and a mighty wind tears apart the mountain. Storms were seen as... as Interventions of God or signs of God, and, the, and people would try to interpret what these storms meant. And it just so happened that this storm kicked up while Jesus was on, going from the Jewish side of the lake to the Gentile side of the lake. And if you remember from, uh, from a few, I don't expect that anybody actually remembers, but from a few sermons ago, we were, it was when we were still on Zoom, I believe, we were talking about the, the healing of the centurion's servant. And that Jesus had come 
his initial mission was to restore God's people. And he had not explicitly come at that point. His task was not to the whole world at that point, but so that Israel could be restored, God's people could be restored, so that the whole world could know who God is because of a restored people of Israel. And so now Jesus is going from the Jewish side to the Gentile side. And a storm just happens to kick up. This is playing in the apostles' minds. But then we also have to think about Jonah. Yes, that's right, Jonah, everybody's favorite VeggieTales movie. Uh, where where poor, poor Jonah gets sent to the evil Ninevites to proclaim God's mercy Jonah doesn't want to go because he's heard bad things about them. Probably rightfully so. And so Jonah runs, and he gets on a boat, and there's a storm. And guess where Jonah is during the storm? He's asleep below deck. They wake him up, and they say, you're a man of God, aren't you? What can you do about this storm? And so Jonah ends up saying, You've got to throw me off, off the deck. You've got to, the only way this is going to end is if I go overboard. This is playing in scripture. All of these things are in the background in this story. And so here's this storm, and these seasoned fishermen are terrified. Imagine how bad that storm must have been to get this group so shaken. And now think back to the storms in your life. Sometimes even as experienced followers of Jesus, even as people who have followed Jesus all our lives, storms come and they rattle us. They shake our cages. Someone you love gets very, very sick. Someone you love dies. The job security that you thought you could really rely and depend on fizzles. Maybe you start thinking about your own mortality. We face these storms and sometimes they shake us so to our core that we abandon all pretense of of having control over the situation, and we do just what the disciples did, which is we go running in terror to Jesus. Now, the the disciples, they find Jesus asleep. And they're, how can Jesus sleep through this? And if you've known a heavy sleeper in your life, You may also have wondered, how can they sleep through this? I tend to be a pretty heavy sleeper. I have slept through uh, lots of different things. Um, I I have slept through, I think, at least three earthquakes, nothing major, but three earthquakes that other people go, oh yeah, that woke me up in the middle of the night. And I was like, not me. I was just dreaming of milkshakes. And so we go, 
we go to Jesus. The disciples go to Jesus, and he's asleep. Has it ever felt that way when you're going through a storm? That you turn to God and it seems like God's asleep? Or you try to pray and you try to, you try to go to Jesus and bring your problems to Jesus. And maybe as you pray, you're, it feels like your prayers are just going about as high as the ceiling and then crashing back down on your head. And you don't have to admit it. Some of us are afraid to admit it. And let me tell you, that doesn't make you less of a follower of Jesus if that's the situation. If you have ever questioned if God is paying attention, if you have ever questioned if Jesus really cares, if you've ever questioned whether the Holy Spirit is, the the flame of the Holy Spirit is even still alive in you, it makes you no less of a Christian than the times when you know that God is present with you. These disciples walked with Jesus every single day. They spent 24-7 with Jesus, and still they ran to Jesus and were shocked when they found him sleeping. Your faith is not in question if you have questions. Your faith is not less if you have doubts. In fact, what it means is that you have things that you need to take to God. And that you have big questions that you need to ask of God and that you need to wait on God to answer. And so the disciples go and wake Jesus up. And you imagine Jesus stretches. I kind of had to stretch because as I imagined Jesus waking up, it just... It had that reaction in me. So Jesus stretches and he gets up and he goes and he tells the storm, be quiet. And all is well. With one word, the oceans hush, or the the waters hush, the winds still, and the the boat voyage, the the three-hour tour, continues on to the other side of the lake. And the disciples are astonished. They'd seen him heal. They'd seen him cast out some demons. But they hadn't seen anything like this before. That with a word, he had the authority to put everything right. What the disciples were seeing is Jesus' authority over the chaos and Jesus' control over the chaos in our lives. Jesus had created the world. One of the men on that boat, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, would open his gospel by saying that nothing was created except by the word. The Apostle Paul, who was not on the boat, would go on to write that Christ is in all and through all and through all things Christ is. It's Colossians chapter 1. 
So what do we do then with this authority of Jesus, with these storms in our life? And I want to tell you about the storm that Jesus faced today. Because in this storm, the gospel writers clearly saw reflections of another storm that Jesus faced. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all tell this story. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. And they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they basically tell the same story and borrow each other's source material to different degrees. And they tell it in their own way and to their own audiences because good writing always is crafted and customized to its audience. And so they, all, they tell the story in different ways, but they're basically telling the same story. John tells the story of Jesus from a different vantage point and with a different purpose. And we'll, we'll get into John someday. But for now, what was it that these three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all saw this story important enough to include? There were two storms, two storm fronts that Jesus would face. And it was the storm that Jesus had to walk into. One storm front was the Jewish messianic expectation that there would be a time when, when God would return, when the glory of the Lord would again fill the temple, and at that time all wrongs would be made right, justice would be poured out on the earth, those who had been wronged would see justice come, uh, the temple would be purified, there would be no more idolatry in the land, the foreign invaders, whatever foreign invaders happened to be uh, holding God's people hostage at that point, would be cast off, and God would reign over God's people forever. And because of some counting that came from the, the book of Daniel, they felt that time was very, very near. And so because they felt that time was very, very near, they were all looking out for the Messiah. However, there were groups of people, loud voices, and it had happened a couple of times that somebody was thought to be the Messiah and they attempted to show their messianic authority and take their messianic authority by force. If you've ever heard of the Maccabees, uh, Judah Maccabee was one of these who attempted a, a military messiahship didn't work out so well. The other force are the Romans. And the Romans want order, they want peace, but they want it done at the point of a sword. The, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was the Rome that comes only when all of your enemies are utterly obliterated. Furthermore, Rome had their own pantheon of gods that included the sitting ruler, the Caesar. Whichever Caesar happened to be on the throne, they were all called Caesar. They didn't invent the salad. Don't make the same mistake that I did. 
but they were thought to be divine. And when you're thought to be divine, your divine rule gets divine things done. And if your divine rule says do some divine violence, then unholy, ungodly violence happens in a divine name. Worldly violence is always ungodly. Just ask the people in Ukraine. And so these two storm fronts came together on Jesus. And when they came together on Jesus, he neither fulfilled the Jewish messianic expectation, nor would he fit into the the violent pagan culture of Rome. And they were more than happy to kill him off. And if you want to know where Jesus is in your storm, if you want to know where Jesus is when God seems distant, if you want to know what's going on in those times that you're going through the storms of life, Jesus is walking with you. We just need the eyes to see it. Sometimes we will, and I know none of, none of us will do this, but sometimes we get so fixated on pretending that there's not a problem and acting as if everything is fine that as we're going through difficulties, we push God out to the margins. We say, I'm fine, I can do this on my own, I've got this, everything's okay. And so, we push God out to the edges. Sometimes we do the opposite, is that we wallow in our pain, we wallow in our misery, that even when the help of God comes, we can't see it. And a lot of times this has to do with the way we were raised. A lot of times this has to do with how our families dealt with the storms of life. My sister growing up was terribly afraid of the dark. Like, terrified. To the point that I remember, I was remembering this picture this week where I don't know who took it. It might have been on a timer or something because I had a little camera when I was little. But it's my mom, my dad, my sister, and I. And we're all sat on the couch together. And I remember there was a storm when this picture was taken because my sister has a death grip, a white knuckle death grip on a flashlight so that if the lights went out, she could turn on the flashlight and feel safe again. But that picture encapsulated how we made it through storms. Is we all came together and we all faced it together and we just put our heads down and just went straight through it. And so something I've had to unlearn as an adult is the habit of just when troubles come, of just trying to shut it out and keep on going and wait till everything's over. 
my instinct is to plow through things, to put my head down, and just keep on going until, you know, that golden sky and the silver lark and, and a partridge in a pear tree shows up. But what I've discovered is by doing that, by keeping my head down, I can't see where Jesus is. I can't see where God is moving. And maybe you're the same way. Or maybe you're the, the person who, who sits and shouts why and wonders and wrestles and all of that. God is there with you. And God is ready to make a way. Because what we forget is in this story that we read, in this, this, this storm boat story, Jesus is going to the Gentile side of the lake because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, a new covenant was made with all people so that those who call on the name of Jesus will become part of God's family, will become part of the new world, the new creation that we will see the fulfillment of someday, but is breaking into our world now. And Jesus was going to do this new thing, and in the process of doing this new thing, he faced a storm. And sometimes on the other side of our storms is the new thing that God is doing. And we need to keep that in mind. Jesus goes through the storms with us. We just have to remember how do we deal with the storm and where do we need to look for Jesus? And there's people who can help you with that. Your pastor, trusted friends who are mature followers of Jesus, a trained mental health counselor. I'll be honest, I spent a year and a half uh, from, from January or, or June of 2020 until uh, December of this past year, talking to a trained mental health counselor at least, uh, at least twice a month, sometimes more. And it was so helpful because it helped me see where I try to shut things out and I could then see where Jesus is present with me in life's storms. So what do we do with you'll never walk alone? What do we do with the, the golden sky and the, the sweet silver song of the lark? That's coming someday. And if you're in a storm, if you're going through a storm right now, and I forgot to greet the people who are joining us on Facebook, I'm so sorry. But if you're going through a storm right now, I can't promise you when the golden sky and the silver lark are showing up. But what I can promise you is that in Jesus Christ and in the family of God's people, walk on, walk on with hope and the love of Jesus and you will never walk alone. Amen.